Hi, this is Kane Cheshire reading the poem Erisichthon, as translated from Ovid's Metamorphoses by Ted Hughes. Some are transformed just once, and live their whole lives after in that shape. Others have a facility for changing themselves as they please. Proteus, who haunts the shadowy seas that scarf this earth, is glimpsed as a young man who becomes of a sudden a lion that becomes a wild boar ripping the ground, yet flows forward, hidden through grass, without sound, as a serpent that emerges as a towering bull under down-bent horns, or hides among stones, a simple stone, or stands as a tree alone, or liquefies and collapses shapeless into water, a pouring river. Sometimes he's the river's opposite, fire. Another, with a similar power, was Erisichthon's daughter, the wife of Autolycus. Her father gave to the gods nothing but mockery. Without a qualm, he cut down every tree in the sacred grove of Ceres, an ancient wood that had never, before that day, jumped to the axe's stroke. Among those trees, one prodigious oak was all to itself a tangled forest. Its boughs were bedecked with wreaths and votive tributes, each for a prayer Ceres had sometime granted. Dryads there danced a holy circle around its bowl, or joined hands to embrace it, a circumference of twenty paces. Erisichthon ignores all this as he assesses the volume of its timber, then orders his men to fell it. Seeing their reluctance, he roars. If this tree were your deity that every clown adores, and not merely a tree you think she favors, nevertheless those twigs away there at the top would have to come down now as the rest falls. He snatches an axe and hauls the weight of the broad head up and back. But in that moment, as the blade hangs poised for the first downstroke, shudderings swarm through the whole tree to its outermost twigs, and a groan bursts from the deep grain. At the same time, every bough goes gray, every leaf whitens, and every acorn whitens. Then the blade bites, and the blood leaps, as from the neck of a great bull when it drops under the axe at the altar. Everybody stares, paralyzed. Only one man protests. The Thessalian Erisichthon turns with eyes stretched incredulous. Your pious cares, he bellows, are misplaced. And he follows that first swing at the oak with another at the protester's neck, whose head spins through the air and bounces. Then the oak, as he turns back to it, pronounces in a clear voice these words. I live in this tree. I am a nymph beloved by Ceres, the goddess. With my last breath, I curse you. As this oak falls on the earth, your punishment will come down on you with all its weight. 
That is my consolation and your fate. Erisichthon ignored her. He just kept going, undercutting the huge trunk till ropes brought the whole mass down, jolting the earth, devastating the underbrush around it. All the nymphs of the sacred grove mourned it. Dressed in black, they came to Ceres, crying for the criminal to be punished, bewailing the desecration. The goddess listened. Then the summer farms, the orchards, the vineyards, the whole flushed, ripening harvest shivered as she pondered how to make his death a parable of her anger. If his cruelty, greed, arrogance had left him a single drop of human feeling, what the goddess did now would have drained mankind of its pity. She condemned him to hunger. But infinite, insatiable hunger, the agony of hunger as a frenzy. Destiny has separated hunger so far from the goddess of abundance they can never meet. Therefore, Ceres commissioned a mountain spirit, an oread. Hear what I say, and do not be afraid. Far away to the north of Scythia lies a barren country, leafless, dreadful, ice permanent as iron, air that aches, a howling land of rocks, gales, and snow. There mad hunger staggers, go. Bid hunger take possession of Erisichthon's belly. Tell her she has power over all my powers to nourish Erisichthon. Let all I pour or push down this fool's gullet only deepen his emptiness. Go, my dragon-drawn chariot will make the terrific journey seem slight. The nymph climbed away, and her first halt was the top of Caucasus. She soon found hunger raking with her nails to bear the root of a tiny rockwort till her teeth could catch and tear it. In shape and color, her face was a skull, bluish, her lips a stretched hole of frayed leather over bleeding teeth, her skin so glossy and so thin you could see the internal organs through it. Her pelvic bone was like a bare bone, the stump wings of her hip bones splayed open. As she bowed, her rib cage swung from her backbone in a varnish of tissue. Her ankle joints and her knee joints were huge bulbs, ponderous, grotesque, on her spindly shanks. The Oread knew danger when she saw it. She proclaimed the command of the goddess from a safe distance. The whole speech took only a minute or so, yet a swoon of hunger left her trembling. She got away fast. All the way back to Thessaly, she gave the dragons their head. Now, hear me. Though hunger lives only in opposition to Ceres, yet she obeys her. She soars through darkness across the earth to the house of Erisichthon and bends above the pillow where his face snores with open mouth. Her skeletal embrace goes around him. Her shrunk mouth clamps over his mouth 
and she breathes into every channel of his body a hurricane of starvation. The job done, she vanishes. She hurtles away, out of the lands of plenty, as if sucked back into the vacuum. Deprivations hollow territories that belong to her, and that she belongs to. Erisichthon snores on. But in spite of the god of sleep's efforts to comfort him, he dreams he sits at a banquet where the food tastes of nothing. A nightmare. He grinds his molars on air with a dry creaking, dreaming that he grinds between his molars a feast of nothing. Food that is like air. At last he writhes awake in convulsive cramps of hunger. His jaws seem to have their own life, snapping at air with uncontrollable eagerness to be biting into food and swallowing, like a cat staring at a bird out of reach. His stomach feels like a fist gripping and wringing out the mere idea of food. He calls for food, everything edible out of the sea and earth. When it comes, dearth is all he sees where tables bend under the spilling plenty. Emptying bowls of heaped food, all he craves for is bigger bowls heaped higher. Food for a whole city cannot sate him. Food for a whole nation leaves him faint with hunger. As every river on earth pours its wealth towards ocean that is always sweeping for more, draining the continents. And as fire grows hungrier, the more fuel it finds. So famished by food, the gullet of Erisichthon, gulping down whatever its diameter can manage, through every waking moment, spares a mouthful only to shout for more. This veracity, this bottomless belly, as if his throat opened into the void of stars, engulfed his entire wealth. His every possession was converted to what he could devour, till nothing remained except a daughter. This only child deserved a better father. His last chattel, he cashed her in for food. He sold her at the market. But she was far too spirited to stay as a bought slave. Stretching her arms towards the sea, she cried, You who ravished my maidenhood, save me. Neptune knew the voice of his pretty victim and granted the prayer. Her new owner, who minutes ago was admiring the girl he had bought, now saw only Neptune's art, featured and clothed like a fisherman. Perplexed, he spoke to this stranger directly. You, with your fishing tackle, hiding your barbs and tiny gobbets of bait, may you have good weather and plenty of silly fish that never notice the hook till it's caught them. Can you tell me where is the girl who was here a moment ago? Her hair loose and dressed in the cheapest things, she was standing right here where her footprints, look, stop and go no further. Where is she? The girl guessed what the god had done for her. She smiled to hear herself ask where she might be. Then to the man parted from his money, I'm sorry, 
My attention has been fixed on the fish in this hole, but I promise you, by all the help I pray for from Neptune, nobody has come along this beach for quite a while, and certainly no woman. The buyer had to believe her. He went off, baffled. The girl took one step and was back in her own shape. Next thing, she was telling her father, and he, elated, saw business. After that, on every market, he sold her in some new shape. A trader bought a horse, paid for it, and found the halter empty, where a girl sat selling mushrooms. A costly parrot escaped its purchaser into an orchard, where a girl picked figs. One bought an ox that vanished from its pasture, where a girl gathered cowslips. So Erisichthon's daughter plied her talent for taking any shape to cheat a buyer, straight and crooked alike, all to feed the famine in her father. But none of it was enough. Whatever he ate, maddened and tormented that hunger to angrier, uglier life, the life of a monster no longer a man. And so, at last, the inevitable. He began to savage his own limbs, and there, at a final feast, devoured himself.